Well, thanks, Titus. Thanks for sharing our verse today, man. And uh, we really appreciate you doing that. And, and we've been so proud of all of you kids who are taking the time to share scriptures with us each week here on the video service. You are all such a blessing to our heart. And blessings like that have, have become extremely precious in this season that we're all walking through. Um, this season of life in which life keeps taking strange and puzzling turns, often surprising and, and shocking turns. 2020 has become a, a season of perplexity. It, it's become kind of like one big object lesson to remind us that we just don't know what lies around the corner. Life in this world is full of surprising twists and turns. And I think the longer that you live, the more that just becomes apparent. I mean, we've all had dreams and expectations and desires and goals, but the longer you live, the more accustomed you become to, to those things working out differently than how you pictured or what you imagined. And sometimes they do work out far better than you imagined. Um, maybe you had expectations for your marriage or, or being a parent or starting a business, and you expected that would bring you joy, but what you found is it brings you far more joy than you ever expected. However, there are other times when you find your expectations or your desires or your dreams just thwarted. Sometimes you see your plans just turn to smoke in your hands, and they just slip away through your fingers. And again, I think this is something that we we all know, to some degree. Uh, I think of our sister, Jocelyn. Uh, this last year was her first year as an elementary school teacher. And, and I know that she was so excited, so eager to graduate and get started with her, her teaching career. But then came her first teaching assignment. And it was a challenging one. She, she was asked to teach in a Spanish immersive classroom. So on top of all the challenges of being a first-year teacher, your first year teaching first graders how to read and do mathematics, now you have to do all of that in Spanish with kids who don't know Spanish or even who come from homes where they don't even speak Spanish. I mean, that's a tall order for any teacher, but especially a first-year teacher. However, Jocelyn, she, she embraced that assignment. She, she pushed through the struggles, and, and she was really starting to make some good headway and then came COVID. COVID hit. And every teacher or every parent you talk to will tell you how absolutely challenging COVID made everything. But just imagine being Jocelyn and trying to create a, a Spanish immersive environment, but doing it all through send home worksheets and online video lessons. None of that. Was, was the first-year teaching experience that she expected. And then, and I am not making this up, her school caught fire. One afternoon this, this summer, her school actually caught fire, and, and that fire affected her classroom. That fire actually ruined her classroom. And many of the supplies, the, the books and the materials that she had been collecting for her classroom were destroyed. So Jocelyn's 2020, her first year as a teacher, 
uh, was full of all kinds of twists and turns that she never expected. I imagine that she never sat around daydreaming about teaching immersive Spanish classes to a, a video camera. I imagine that, that a fire burning up her classroom materials wasn't even on her radar. But this is the way that life can be. This is the reality of life in this world. It's a life full of twists and turns. And that's a reality for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. No one escapes this reality. And no one finds all of their plans unfolding perfectly and every choice and every action playing out just like they dreamed. Sometimes life in this world is full of surprises. Sometimes life in this world doesn't make much sense. Sometimes it doesn't make much sense. But the question that I want to explore this morning is what should we do about it? What should we do about it? How should we live life in the twists and the turns? How should we face the, the surprising, the confusing, and the, the expected moments that, that enter into the life of each and every one of us? How should we approach life when it doesn't always make sense? Well, this is where our study in Ecclesiastes is going to continue to be helpful. I think if there was ever a book for 2020, a book for navigating life and the twists and the turns, this Old Testament book, this Old Testament wisdom book is it. Recently, someone in our church was pointing out how many pastors and how many churches they've seen this year going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's a lot. This year, pastors going through Ecclesiastes, and it's like maybe the Spirit of God knew what was coming. And he also knew the wisdom that we would need to face it. So if you haven't done so already, I'll go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And let's resume our study through this, this master class that is Ecclesiastes. This master class in facing puzzling, perplexing, and challenging realities of life under the sun. Let's look at what the preacher of Ecclesiastes has to tell us about living life in the twists and the turns. And as we come here to chapter 9, we're actually taking a turn into the home stretch of this book. As one commentator explained, it is now time for the preacher to spell out his conclusions and lessons learned. Although there are three more chapters to go, by taking the time here to state his findings, he allows us to catch our breath. In other words, we're entering the beginning of the end of this book. And as we do so, this preacher is going to give us a moment to, to pause by sharing with us in, in summary fashion some of the big ideas that he has been working through in this book. And the first of those, those big ideas is what I'll call the folly of our control. The folly of our control. This preacher is going to remind us again that the life is often not what we think nor what we expect. We, we don't have the control that we think or that we expect. Now, remember from the beginning of this book, he's been telling us it's all hevel. It's all hevel. He has continued to use this Hebrew term hevel, a term which commonly means smoke or mist or vapor. 
And although most of our English translations just render that Hebrew term as, as vanity or meaninglessness, as we've talked about, this preacher in Ecclesiastes has a little more nuanced approach to this word. Instead of it simply being some kind of catch-all term for things that are vain or useless or without meaning, we actually find the preacher coalesce here taking a, a threefold approach with this term, hevel. And what I mean by that is that sometimes the preacher uses this term to point out things which are elusive. You try to grab hold of them, but they, they slip through your fingertips. Other times he uses hevel to describe things which are fleeting. They are things that might give you joy, they might give you pleasure, they might give you a sense, some sense of security for a moment. You might be able to hold on to them for a moment, but they just don't last. They're fleeting. And a third way that he uses this term is to describe things that are mysterious. They are things that puzzle us, things that confuse us, or things that we just, just can't seem to understand. And through his, his repeated and multifaceted usage of this term hevel in this book, this preacher keeps emphasizing our lack of control. Our lack of control. We lack control over the many things that we encounter in this life under the sun. Whether it's the things that are elusive or the things that are fleeting or the things that are just mysterious, trying to grab hold of those things in our life and, and to control them proves to be an exercise in futility. It's like chasing smoke. And that's a lesson that we have, have seen over and over and over again in this book. From, from wealth to wisdom, from, from pleasure to power, from, from birth to death. There is so much that, that we try to grab and hold on to, but it just proves futile. So much that we encounter in this world is like hevel. It's like smoke, mist, or vapor. It's fleeting, it's elusive, and it's mysterious. However, here's the thing. Our lack of control doesn't mean that no one is in control. You see, just because we find ourselves puzzled and perplexed and sometimes frustrated with, with life aboard this vessel that is planet Earth in 2020, that doesn't mean that no one has their hand upon the wheel. And that's the point that the preacher makes in the opening verse of this chapter. Look with me now at verse 1 here in chapter 9. <laughs> Solomon tells us, but all these things I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are, look what he says, in the hand of God. So again, here Solomon is telling us about his examination of, of life under the sun. And from chapter 1 in this book onward, he's been sharing with us these things. He's been sharing with us his, his thoughts, his reflections, his observations about life in this world from our birth to our death. And that's what he means by, by life under the sun. It's, it's life, our life in this fallen world. And here he tells us that it's all, all of it, in the hand of God. From birth to death and everything in between, it's all in the hand of God. Now, the Bible uses this image, the hand of God, as commentator Philip Ryken points out. The Bible uses this image, the hand of God, to express God's power, God's love, God's supervision, and God's control. And, and Riken explains, here the metaphor expresses God's sovereign supervision of his people 
and their actions. So, so this preacher is pointing out that in this world that feels so out of control so often, there is actually one who is in control, and we are in his hand. We are in the hand of God. However, before you let that statement start giving you warm fuzzies and, and leading you to start singing kumbaya, we need to read the rest of this opening verse. You see, the preacher in this book, he's been pointing out our lack of control, and here he points out to the one who is ultimately in control, but then he mentions that it's really tough, look at this verse, it's really tough to tell what God, the one who is in control, is actually up to. Look again at verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. So, so that sounds really good, right? But then look at what else he says. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. In other words, whether God is acting in our life out of love or out of hate, it isn't always clear. It isn't always clear. We can't look at the, the different events that we experience and then use those events as some kind of decoder ring to categorize God's feelings and attitudes towards us. We can't. I mean, someone might look at, at this last tough year that Jocelyn went through, and they might just rush to conclude that, that God must be angry with her or that she's somehow under his judgment. But would that be accurate? Would that be correct? Is that really how God works? No, it's not. That's not the way that God is towards his people in this life under the sun. You see, we can't simply use our experiences to gauge God's attitudes and affections towards us. And here, the preacher goes on to tell us why. Look at verse 2. Look what he says. It is, what does he say? The same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears as he who shuns an oath. In other words, we all go through the same stuff. No matter who we are, we all go through the same stuff. And, and to really emphasize that point, this preacher here, he marks out two clear categories. And in one column, you have what he calls the righteous. And they are those who are, are good, who are ceremonially clean, who look to the sacrifices to atone for their sins, and who swear an oath of devotion to God. Now, this is important to, to understand. These are not perfect people, but, but what's being described here is the people who in the Old Testament embraced the old covenant that looked forward to Christ, and they embraced the sacrifices, and they followed God, and so by faith they were righteous. They were the righteous. And I think we can also look at this as something which applies to those of us who in this New Testament age, we embrace the new covenant, which is fulfilled by Christ. And we too look to the sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and we follow him, we are devoted to him. So by faith in him, we are the righteous. 
So this first category, simply describing the people of God, the faithful, redeemed people of God. But then this preacher gives us a, a diametrically opposed second category, a category that he calls the wicked. And these are people who are evil, who are unclean. And they are so, listen carefully, they are so because they shun the sacrifices and they reject devoting themselves to God. They are the godless. They are those who reject their creator and his gracious forgiveness and his mercy. However, the the point that the preacher is making here in verse 2 and then also in verse 3 is that the same actions happen to all of them. They happen to all of us in this life under the sun. You, You simply can't look around at the events in your life, the twists and the turns or the lack of them, and discern whether you are a favored one of God or not. And that reality, it also emphasizes that you can't control God's actions towards you by your actions towards him. Let me repeat that because that's important. You can't control God's actions towards you by your actions towards him. In other words, there isn't a magic formula that you can work that is going to guarantee that everything breaks your way. No matter matter what the prosperity gospel preachers might say, or even those pastors who claim that COVID won't get their congregations because they're honoring Christ and not Caesar, there is no magic formula that you can work to guarantee peace and blessing in this life. If you remember, that was actually the folly of Job's unhelpful friends. They, they view life as a formula that Job clearly wasn't working well. But that was their folly. And that's the same folly that this preacher exposes right here. No matter what you do, the same type of events happen to all of us. But here's the thing. That frustrates this preacher. That frustrates this preacher. That frustrates this preacher of Ecclesiastes. Look at the text. Solomon in verse 3, he actually calls it evil. He says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. He says, this is an evil. (laughs) Now, before you start calling Pastor Solomon here a heretic, understand that he is not calling God nor God's actions evil. He's not... He's not being blasphemous here. Instead, he's using a term that is translated translated other places in this book as grievous. It's a term that can be used to describe a tragedy. It describes something which is heartbreaking. It's another way of saying that something isn't the way that it should be. And that's the reality of life in this fallen world. This world is a world that is not as it should be. It was created, you know this, it was created good. It was created to be a place of of shalom, of wholeness, of, of peace, of blessing. But sin entered in and judgment followed. And so much of life, this side of Genesis 3, it has become grievous. We look at it and it grieves us. It it can frustrate us. 
they can discourage us. We see the life of a, a promising young missionary like Jim Elliott cut short, while, while a vile pedophile like Jeffrey Epstein lives years unchecked in their corruption and depravity. Or we watch as politicians who, who lie and are driven by greed, they just keep rising up the ranks. While those politicians who, who stand on their principles are then run out of office. And we know, we know that God is in control. But, but the twists and the turns that this life takes, they often puzzle us. We have a hard time discerning what in the world is actually going on. I have a hard time figuring out the, the rhyme and the reason of things. The, the formula, it escapes us. And that lack of control, it can frustrate us. The confusion about what is going on can grieve us. <clears throat> However, none of us should feel like we are simply sitting on the sidelines as innocent bystanders. And this is what the preacher reminds us as we continue here in verse 3. Look at the text. Solomon says, Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Even the righteous. Even the righteous have sinful hearts. That's why we need a sacrifice. Amen? That's why we need a sacrifice. We all know the, the corruption within and that, that corruption then leads to this, this madness that plagues the world in which we live. Whether it's rioters out in the street trying to oppose violence with more violence, or the violence in our own hearts towards them as we watch them burn our businesses and our cities. There, there's this internal corruption inside of each and every one of us, and it is contributing it is flowing out of us, contributing to this madness of life under the sun. And then we die. Then we die. That's the last line there in verse 3. And after that, they go to the dead. Now, as I've said before, no one is going to confuse the preacher of Ecclesiastes with Pollyanna. I mean, he is not a Pollyanna. He is definitely not giving us a picture of life that is all sunshine and lollipops. But what he is doing through this rather somber and jarring message is summing up, helping us see, confronting us with the reality in which we live. And that reality is that we are not in control. We're not in control. Life is not some kind of Rubik's Cube that you can just solve if you practice enough or some kind of formula that you can figure out and then just follow. You're not in control. I am not in control. God is. God is. But, but you can't even look at God's actions towards you or me and discern if he's against us or he's for us. Life is not some neat, easy, controllable equation you know some controllable equation like yeah two parts obedience and one part devotion and out comes daily bliss life is not that way life is full of twists and turns no matter who you are no matter who you are life is puzzling <laughs> it doesn't always make sense 
And all of us find ourselves confronted with the same experiences. And then in the end, we all go to the same place. We all go to the grave. We all face death. That's the first big idea of Ecclesiastes that this preacher summarizes here in our text. He reminds us of the hevel of it all. Life under the sun is not something that we can grasp and control. Just because you have a dream. And that might be a great dream for how your life should be. That doesn't mean you're not, you're not guaranteed that your dream will become a reality. Instead, it might just prove to be hevel. It might just prove to be elusive, fleeting, and mysterious. So then what do we do? What do we do? We don't have control. Life doesn't work according to our desired formulas. There is madness around us and madness within us. Life is full of twists and turns. So what do we do? Well, for a lot of us, the temptation, for a lot of, a lot of us, the temptation is as we find ourselves face to face, eyeball to eyeball with this reality, Living in the the twists and the turns, the the challenging, frustrating moments, the the temptation is for us then to grow discouraged. Grow discouraged. We become frustrated as we realize how life in this world works. We can find ourselves angry when our dreams don't materialize the way that we hoped or we wished that they would. We, We can begin to lament the moments or the the seasons of life that we find ourselves in, to weep over what might have been, what could have been, what we think should have been. We can start to lose our hope. We can lose our joy. But for all of his uh, pessimistic pondering, despair is not the route that this preacher recommends that we take. And again, this is why this book is so ideal for life in 2020. Here here in the next portion of our text for this morning, in verses 4 to 10, the preacher reminds us of two more big ideas in his book. And the first is that your life, my life, our life is a gift. Our life is a gift. No matter how frustrating, how confusing, how puzzling your life is, we still need to realize that life is is a gift. Life is a gift. And look with me at how this preacher explains this. Starting in verse 4, he tells us, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Again, the emphasis here is on the gift of life. Your life, my life, is a gift. And to emphasize that point, this this preacher gives us a, a pointed proverb. He tells us, look at the text, a living dog is better than a dead lion. (laughs) Now, in that culture, just like in our culture, a lion was seen as a a majestic, a powerful creature. 
In Israel's history, it was associated with the the tribe of Judah, the, the rulers of Israel. We read about the lion of the tribe of Judah. But a dog, well, that was a different story in that culture. Unlike in our culture, a dog wasn't thought of as a cute little pet or man's best friend. Instead, it was simply seen as a scavenging animal. Dogs were were wild scavengers that roamed the streets. They, They lived on refuse. They were filthy. They were despised creatures. But here the point is that even a filthy, despised living dog is better than a dead lion. And that's because what good is a dead lion? What good is a dead lion? His life is over. Can't threaten anyone. It can't impress anyone. It can't eat or mate or or run free with the wind in its mane. Its usefulness in this world, this life under the sun, is over. And the same is true with us when we die. Now here, when this preacher says the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the, the memory of them is forgotten, he is not denying the afterlife. He's not saying that we we simply cease to exist. Instead, he's pointing out that when we die, we stop existing in this life under the sun. Our time here in this fallen world, it's over. And that means our knowledge (coughs) of the day-to-day activities of this life is also over. When you die, you are no longer going to, to worry about what needs to be done on your job. Or or what you need to buy from the grocery store. Or what bills still need to be paid. The dead know nothing of those things. When when you die, your your concern for those things end. And and so does your opportunity for reward. Your your intense passion about what is going on in this world. Your your love or your hate or your envy. And, And even the memory of you. It too, eventually, it fades away. A few generations pass, and who will actually remember that you were even here? That's the point this preacher is making. When you die, as verse 6 says, you have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Your time here is over. But while we are still here, we should see our time here as a gift. Again, life is a gift, but it is a gift with a a limited shelf life. The preacher says here in verse 5, the living know that they will die. We will die. Commentators call that little statement a memento mori. A memento mori. In other words, a reminder of death. And, And statements like this, they're all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 3, remember this, we were told, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and remember, a time to die. And in chapter 7, remember, the preacher, he challenged us to understand that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Why? He says, for this is the end of all mankind, the house of mourning, and the living will lay it to heart. The living will lay it to heart. And that's the same message that the preacher is giving us here 
death is coming, and we need to live in light of that reality. And even though we can't control all these aspects of our life here, or always understand the the twists and the turns that it all takes, still, it's a gift. This life is a gift, and it's a gift that needs to be approached with wisdom. We need to live our life in light of the end that is coming. Life here, it won't go on forever. There is a termination point at which we won't be able to change the things that we did or the way that we lived or the object upon which we built our hope. If we just lived for the the hevel things of this world on that day of our death and, and all that follows from that, it will reveal that. It will reveal what we were living for. But if we, if we built our hope on God, that too will be made clear in that day. Again, we are, we are in the hand of God. He is our creator. He is our sovereign Lord. And we are accountable to him. And, and although we can't look at the events of daily life and always discern, discern his, his love towards us or his hatred towards us, we can look to his revelation. We can look to his promises. We can look to his son. And when we do, there is no doubt. There is no doubt about his love towards us. There is no doubt about his his kindness and his mercy and his grace towards us. And as we hope in the son, as we live with this confidence in the gospel, this, this good news of the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus that saves us forever, We can live with confidence about the end of this life under the sun. It will end with us entering into glory. And the wise know this, and they live ready for that day. The wise understand that life will not go on forever, that it's a gift That it's a gift to be approached with wisdom. And it's pure folly to live any other way. In spite of our lack of control, we can have hope in this life because our time here, it hasn't ended yet. We can still do good. We can still look to Christ. We can still live with wisdom. A living dog is better than a dead lion. And then we see that as we live with wisdom, as we embrace this gift that is our life with wisdom, we can daily enjoy this gift that we've been given. That's how this summary here ends. If you've been with us through our our study, you know that we've talked a lot about the hevel of life in this world. Uh, We've talked about it repeatedly. Maybe you've grown tired of me talking about it. But, but that's, that's the big idea that was pictured for us there in the first three verses of this chapter, kind of summarizing what's been talked about up to this point. And, and we've also talked a lot about the fact that life is a gift, not a source of gain. We've talked about that frequently in our study through this book, and, and we're being reminded of that here in verses four to six. That was the, the second big idea here, that the life is a gift. But now we get to look at one of my favorite aspects of this book, my my favorite big idea in this book. And that is that life is a gift 
to be enjoyed and to be enjoyed with God himself. Life is a gift to be enjoyed and to be enjoyed with God himself. Look at, look at our text. Look at verses 7 and 10, how this is laid out for us. We read, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain, your, your fleeting life that he, God, has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or wisdom or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in the grave to which you are going. In other words, enjoy this temporary life with its temporary blessings in this temporary place. But the preacher here, he doesn't just say, enjoy life, enjoy life. His message is actually carpe diem, seize the day. Go, he says, grab this gift of life while you have it. And enjoy it. Enjoy the food that God has given you to eat. Enjoy the spouse that God has given you. Enjoy the work that God has given you. Yes, life is perplexing. And it's puzzling. And it's frustrating at times. But don't go around in sackcloth and ashes. Instead, brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on something nice, and enjoy the life that you have. And do it. Do it knowing that God is pleased with you. Like a good father, delighting in his children's joy on a Christmas morning, God our Father delights in our joy in the gifts that he has given us. And he delights when we we see them for what they are. They're gifts, they're not sources of gain. And they're gifts to be enjoyed in fellowship with him be enjoyed in fellowship with him. And again, we we can't always look at the the twists and the turns of life and discern his love for us. But we do have something so much better that we can look to through the promises and the declarations of the gospel. We can know that God is pleased with us. Through faith in his son, we are clothed in his son. And the father's delight in Jesus becomes his delight then in us. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, God is pleased with you. So brothers and sisters, live like it. Live like it. Delight in the gift that is your life. Delight in the home that you have, the, the meals that you get to enjoy, the clothes that you get to put on, delight in your relationships, your relationships with your, your friends, your spouse, your children, your parents, your grandparents, your grandchildren. Rejoice in those relationships. Delight in your work. Delight in your work. Praise God for the work that you do have. And, and whatever is before you, work it heartily as long as you have it. And then realize that all of this is your portion. It's your portion. It's your gift from God to be enjoyed in relationship with God. It's yours to be enjoyed in fellowship with him. 
Life is full of twists and turns. We live in the twists and the turns. And they remind us that we are not in control. Uh, The preacher has made that point numerous times in this book, and he has summarized it here for us in our text for this morning. We're not in control. But how do we face that a reality? How do we face that reality? How, How do we approach our lack of control? Do we become despairing? Do we lose hope and joy itself? Beloved, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Instead, we should realize that that whatever comes in the twists and the turns, life itself is a gift. And it's a gift that we've been given for a limited time. And we need to approach it with wisdom. And as we do so, wisdom says we need to see this, this life, as a gift from God that we can enjoy with God. We get to meet him. We get to meet with him in all of the the various moments, to, to fellowship with him in the various moments, to thank him as we eat our bread, as we drink our wine, as we love our spouse, as we work our job. We can have hope. We can know joy. We just need to see life for what it is. It is a gift. It's a gift. And so if we live life like it's something we can grasp and control, we we will find ourselves frustrated with the hevel. But if we see life as a gift to be enjoyed with God, we will find hope and joy even in the moments when we least Expected. 2020 has been a challenging year. Uh, It's going to continue to be so. We will continue to find life surprising and even shocking us. But praise God, that doesn't mean we should lose hope or that we can't have joy. If Ecclesiastes has taught us anything... (laughs) I hope that it has taught us that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you that our life is in your hands. And we praise you for your good promises, your good and merciful promises, all centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those promises that that speak over us, your love and your blessing. Help us to cling to that love in the perplexing twists and turns of life. Help us to continue to see each day as a gift. A gift from you to be enjoyed with you. Thank you for delighting in our delight. Thank you for being pleased with us as you see us and you love us in your son. Now help us, help us to continue to learn to walk in the wisdom of these truths day in and day out. Help us to know that hope and that joy no matter what comes around the corner in our life. And thank you that with you, 
but we can. We can. Thank you that we can always know hope and joy with you. This we pray and praise you for. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.